Hello and welcome to the Today in the World podcast for Wednesday the 3rd of February 2021. I am your host Uncle K and today Joe Biden wants to raise the minimum wage but not everyone is happy about it. Hollywood actor Steven Seagal is on the wrong side of the law after getting involved with a fraudulent crypto scheme. Russia and China are in cahoots as they fail to condemn the military coup in Myanmar. And Futurism sits down with the head of NASA to discuss the space race and aliens. Here's what you missed today in the world. Russia and China's new alliance looks to be coming along quite well as they both used their combined power to block the UN from condemning Myanmar's military coup. The Business Insider reports that a 15-member UN Security Council met on Tuesday to vote on a joint statement after the military chief on Monday seized control of the country. The vote was to issue a joint statement in condemning the military coup and call on the military to immediately release those unlawfully detained, according to a draft seen by Politico. But... Due to the fact that the Russian and Chinese ambassadors and attending the meeting did not get the respective blessings of Beijing and Moscow before agreeing, the council was unable to issue that statement. Now, it's not immediately clear what their stance is on this matter. A diplomat commented on the issue saying, quote, China and Russia have asked for more time, close quote. So I guess they're not necessarily in support of the coup. They are kind of just covering their back before they say anything on it. I mean, the more I look at this story, the more I get confused about what's really going on. An article from The Guardian says that the existing leader who has just been detained, Su Ki, is facing two years just for importing some walkie-talkies. You know, so clearly something is going terribly wrong there. And while it does seem that there's much more to this whole thing than what meets the eye, one thing is for certain, this whole fiasco is going to do wonders for Biden's political career. And it's going to add fuel to the conspiracy theories that Russia and China are the real evil empires for not condemning the coup, which will allow Biden to gather even more support from the political left. And if the PR works well, he might even convert some doubters that, you know, he's not so bad after all. Not much to talk about with the Polytrix today, so we're going to go straight into the crypto numbers. Starting off with Bitcoin, we're getting a huge pump again, trading at $37,000, up 6%. Ethereum trading at $1,600, up 9%. XRP up 3%, trading at $0.38. Polkadot up 16%, trading at just under $20. Cardano doing very well as usual, up 1%, trading at $0.43. Litecoin up 7%, trading at $154. Chainlink is at $25, up 9%. Bitcoin Cash is trading at $441, up 3%. And Binance Coin is trading at $51 and is up 2%. Today in Which Billionaire is Buying Crypto?, One River Asset Management CEO, Eric Peters, shared his view on Bitcoin at length in an interview with Bloomberg last week. News.Bitcoin reports that he revealed his asset management firm now holds Bitcoin, quote, well in excess of a billion dollars at this point, close quote. Seems to me these billionaires are really, really loving Bitcoin. As soon as they get involved, they just instantly want to tell the whole world about it. You know, I can't really blame them. You know, it had exactly the same effect on me. 
you know, Bitcoin is just more contagious than COVID at this point. It has to be said. He said, quote, we are in a unique period right now, close quotes. It's the period seen many times throughout history where governments become extremely indebted, monetary policy becomes less effective, and ultimately governments need to issue lots of debt and begin actually spending. Typically, when they do that, they try to unburden themselves from the debt they're incurring by debasing the currency that they're issuing the debt in. The CEO added that, quote, ultimately, those who hold that currency lose their spending power, close quote. He proceeded to talk about crypto assets, stating that they are really interesting in the sense that they're a new asset class altogether. Moreover, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have technology properties and will look different tomorrow and next year and in a decade to come. Referring to what seems like the Bitcoin haters or the crypto doubters, he said, open quote, I think you have to be a real pessimist to think that an emerging technology platform doesn't become more interesting, more useful, more valuable, close quote. Clarifying his reasoning in investing in the cryptocurrency, he said, I've seen enough to know that, in essence, tomorrow is going to look better than today. When you're investing, that's incredibly important to know. Does tomorrow look better, worse or the same? I think I've seen enough to just understand that tomorrow looks better than today in these assets. He then went on to give his valuation of Bitcoin, around $500,000, and revealed that after his firm had invested about a billion dollars in Bitcoin, he said that, quote, the number of institutions that have been filling my day with calls and inquiries about this is astounding, close quote. He reiterated that it is already happening enormously. Personally speaking, I think the only reason why we haven't seen all the largest asset management companies like this invest in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies for that matter is probably just down to the obscure regulations surrounding it. They don't want to get themselves involved in some unnecessary trouble, you know, being in it too early. He said more regulation will come out in future, but the regulators will not destroy the asset class because they understand, quote, the future of finance will be digital. And today in Who's Been Arrested for Using Crypto, the SEC has charged three people on Monday with defrauding retail investors through two fraudulent and unregistered digital asset security offerings that occurred between approximately December 2017 and May 2018. The three individuals involved have been arrested and are facing criminal charges by the US Department of Justice. The schemes are Start Options and Bitcoin to Gen. The SEC wrote in a statement, by the time their schemes collapsed, they had fraudulently raised directly or through affiliates and promoters at least $11.4 million from more than 460 investors in stocks options and Bitcoin to Gen, none of which has been returned to investors. The founders involved falsely claimed that Start Options was, open quote in their words, the largest Bitcoin exchange in euro volume and liquidity, close quote. They also said it is consistently rated the best and most secure Bitcoin exchange by independent news media. They also promoted Bitcoin to Gen's unregistered security offerings of B2G tokens in January 2018. But this is where it gets really interesting. The B2G token offering was promoted by the famous Hollywood actor, Steven Seagal. 
In February 2020, the SEC charged Segal with unlawfully touting B2G tokens, alleging that the actor failed to disclose that he was promised $250,000 in cash and $750,000 worth of B2G tokens in exchange for his promotions. Segal subsequently settled the charges with the SEC. Now, this is obviously not a good look for him, boy, because according to the SEC, he wasn't even invested into this coin. He just made it out like he was, which is what makes it look really bad on his part for just misleading the people like that. You know, people look at him like the people's champ, you know. It's crazy, but, you know, with all this new technology flying around, people really need to do their homework before they just jump on the, the crypto hype train. All the lazy people are being taxed right now for their laziness. This is just another lesson just like XRP was, to do your homework before investing. I haven't talked about the US economy for a while, but I've just seen some news from the Business Insider saying that Joe Biden plans to increase the minimum wage to $15 per hour. That means over 20 million workers could get a raise. And the new study finds that the pay bump could also be a great thing for taxpayers. The study, which comes from the UC Berkeley Labor Center, found that the country's current low minimum wage costs taxpayers more than $100 billion a year. That's because nearly half of the working families who would benefit from the pay bump rely on at least one safety net program, which obviously makes a whole lot of sense. You know, if people are not being paid enough, then they are going to have to turn to the public funding to supplement their income at the burden of the taxpayer. Not only does it cost the taxpayer more money, but low wages also come at the expense of safety and security. One thing that I don't think is talked about often enough. You see, there is a blatant link between poverty-stricken areas and high crime and drug use. Every area in the US, or in the UK for that matter, that hasn't got a lot of opportunity in the form of businesses that are actively hiring, they always have high rates of drug addicts and petty theft as a normal way of living. Here's the thing though, I don't think the solution is as simple as raising the minimum wage. I know the idea of it sounds great, but of course that isn't going to put, you know, that's that's going to put an extra burden on all businesses that are already, you know, lucky to be even surviving this pandemic. During the presidential debate in October, President Donald Trump made a similar point arguing that a wage hike could hurt employers. And this is where the debate gets, you know, a bit technical. Because you can't necessarily lump all businesses in the same boat and say that they all should abide by the same rules. All those various different sectors have completely different profit margins. Take supermarkets, for example. They have very high margins due to their size, which brings them some clear competitive advantages in the market, allowing them to become exceedingly profitable as time goes on, Wage hikes, they're not going to have any real impact on their businesses. Amazon is a great example of this. But you see like the mom and pop stores, as they're commonly referred to in America, they are really going to suffer because if you double their wage costs overnight, they don't necessarily have the resources to just reorganize their whole business to make up for increased costs. Having worked in middle management myself for five years, I see it from both sides. I've been a minimum wage earner at the bottom of the pile and admittedly, you know, I made the misguided assumption that my employer was greedy and could pay me more if he wanted to. And then when I worked in management and saw exactly how much the business was actually generating, it became obvious why it was so difficult. 
quite often we would actually be making a loss even when sales were coming in. You know, bear in mind the company I'm talking about isn't a small business. It was a franchise with over over 300 stores across the country. So in a lot of ways, I can actually relate to what's being proposed here because even here in the UK, where minimum wage has been increased every year for quite a few years now, at least uh, the last three to four years, as far as I know, it has put a lot of stress on the business that I used to work for. And quite often, it just meant that we would have to have less people working, you know, for less hours, which meant those that were still working were under more pressure because they had to carry a larger workload. And now as a business owner, witnessing how other people manage their businesses, I've seen a lot of other established businesses operating at a loss for years, literally surviving off of good credit terms, but not really making any real money. So again, when you take all these things into account, a minimum wage hike doesn't solve the problem. All these issues just keep stemming back to the same original issues about, you know, the lack of production in the country, uh, weakening currency, which all stems from this legacy of crony capitalism, where profits always come at the expense of someone else, instead of a healthy ecosystem designed to benefit everyone. A lot of our issues are just cultural ones, as, you know, as a global, you know, civilization. If you really want to make a change for low to medium income households, the entire monetary system needs to be repaired, which is exactly why asset managers are moving into Bitcoin. So at least we can start off with a currency that is capped and can't be weakened, you know. If there's an issue with a business with crypto, you can't just magically revive them. They would have to make the necessary adjustments to be able to sustain themselves instead of relying on free money to just come in and save them all the time. Question. If you had the opportunity to enter into a black hole just to see where it goes, where they guarantee you would survive the journey, would you go through it? RT reports that a pair of physicists have proposed the exact set of circumstances necessary for a human to enter a black hole, but caution that it would be the loneliest one-way trip ever undertaken in the history of mankind. If you've ever watched the new season of Star Trek, you might be able to guess what that kind of experience might be like. They often toy with these kind of scenarios and, you know, by the time you get into the show, it's practically a normal method of transport. Assistant professors Leo and Shanshan Rodriguez of physics at Grinnell College compared two types of black hole, stellar-sized with roughly the same mass as our sun and supermassive with a mass millions or even billions of times larger. Now, the issue in trying to see if we could someday pass through one of these black holes stems around the possibility of being able to pass through something called the event horizon, which is a point of no return where the gravitational or tidal forces of the black hole become so powerful that not even light can escape. If a person were to cross the event horizon of a stellar-sized black hole, they would undergo a process known as spaghettification. And if you're wondering what that is, it is exactly what it sounds like. You, as a spaghetti, being pulled apart from the extraordinary difference in gravitational pull from one point in space-time to the next. I think it goes without saying that this will definitely kill you. However, a person falling into a supermassive black hole would experience a much more gradual and protracted freefall without the unsightly spaghettification, passing through the event horizon unaffected by extreme differences in gravity. The different reactions from both of these black holes comes down to their radius. The smaller the radius of the black hole, the less likely you'll turn into spaghetti trying to pass through it. 
That is, of course, until we create the technology that allows us to go through the bigger ones. Since we're going to Mars and finding these motorway-like portals in space already, I think it's only a matter of time before someone gets brave enough to really make this trip. And, you know, that would be cool if someone did that, you know, because it would just be interesting to see what it would look like. They would have to bring a camera, but I don't know if that would actually work because if light can't escape it, I'm not sure the signal from the camera would. You know, I'm sure someone somewhere is figuring it out, though. You may or may not know this, but when Joe Biden became president, there was a changing of leadership at NASA. Trump appointee Jim Bridenstine resigned, leaving Associate Administrator Steve Jerzyk in charge. Futurism got the opportunity to speak with the new temporary leader and managed to ask a load of questions, including a rover being sent to Mars, future bases on Mars, the development of the technology needed there, aliens, of course, and also the growing competition between the US and China in building a space station on the moon. When asked about previous highly ambitious plans like landing the first woman on the moon by 2024 and establishing a long-term lunar base, the NASA head replied, one of the reasons for going to the moon is to demonstrate technological capabilities that we are going to need for eventually a mission to Mars. And then the ultimate goal is a crewed mission to Mars and the Martian surface. I think using the International Space Station, using missions around and on the surface of the moon, with the ultimate goal being Mars, is still the strategic direction for human exploration. He was then asked about the Perseverance rover, which is scheduled to land on Mars in February, and also the small helicopter stashed on board designed to fly in Mars's thin atmosphere and weak gravity. Alluding to the fact that it is highly unlikely it will actually work, he replied, It is very experimental, the technology development. If it works, it has some operational use. It could be a scout for the rover. It could kind of look beyond the rover's range for trajectory planning, for how we drive the rover on the surface of Mars. Hinting at the new space race coming for this new technological revolution, he was asked, is China's push to get astronauts onto the moon and to launch its own space station a source of concern or pressure within NASA? He replied in the typical egotistical fashion you would expect from someone representing a government body. I wouldn't say it's a source of concern or pressure, but we are closely watching what the Chinese are doing. And, you know, we have been prohibited by Congress from bilateral discussions with China. And so that gives us somewhat less insight into their plan and definitely keeps us from direct collaboration with them. But yeah, there's no doubt that China has a very ambitious plan for human spaceflight, including Earth-orbiting space stations. And they've obviously done robotic missions to the moon, and they have plans for the longer term of human spaceflight. And they have a robotic mission that's headed to Mars orbit in early February. Finally, getting on to the real points everyone wants to know. Futurism asks, So everyone I know would disown me if I didn't ask. Aliens, coming soon? And the answer was obviously disappointing to say the least. Laughing, he replied, you know, it's uh, hard to say. But you know, part of the Mars mission is looking for past signs of life. And we are detecting planets around other stars, right? With Kepler and eventually with the James Webb Space Telescope and other missions, we want to do direct imaging of exoplanets, planets around other stars. So we are advancing our knowledge there. But so far, no aliens. I mean, you can take that as at face value if you want. I know I definitely won't be. 
It's just going to be interesting to see what kind of discoveries other countries will announce when they get their rovers onto Mars. Like India, for example, who's planning on sending a rover there very, very soon. I just hope that it won't be as hush-hush on the subject of aliens as Western governments are and we can actually finally start, you know, finding out some real information about what's going on outside of Earth. That marks the end of today's episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, make sure you spread the love. Tell a friend to tell a friend. I'm going to be back here tomorrow evening to bring you some more news. And until then, peace.